everyone, and welcome to this episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. I am your host, Eric Loda, and today's guest is Bill Ham. Bill is the Chief Operating Officer at Broadwell Property Group. He is a coach with Jake and Gino and is a soon-to-be published author. Bill's book, Creative Cash, will be coming out soon. Be sure to listen in for when that is coming out and where you will be able to find it. But today's episode, we really dig into what Bill describes as the K-shaped recovery. What to expect? How is the apartment space going to recover? Some, some things to watch out for in the next couple of years, as well as how to go about those deals with some creative financing for the ones that wouldn't qualify for bank financing. So it's a great episode. Bill always has a lot of great insight, how to look out for the, the downside of deals, you know, make sure to protect yourself and be able to capitalize on the opportunity when it presents itself. Enjoy today's show. Bill, welcome back to the show. Ah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. So for those, uh, who haven't heard the other episode, I'd encourage you to check out episode four with Bill Ham. A uh, great one about, you know, kind of knowing your market cycles, which that one was on February 21st when it came out. And little did we know what was coming in uh, the remainder of 2020 and what kind of leads us up to today. And now looking forward to what's uh, what's coming ahead. So some some good stuff to get into, but uh, if you want to get the, the full uh, story, we dig into a little bit more of... Uh, Bill's path that's gotten him uh, to this point. But for those who haven't listened to that episode, I want to just give a, a brief background and then uh, we'll get going. Okay. So uh, yeah, I've been in my background in general, I've been in real estate about 15 years now, almost 16 years. Uh, started off as a pilot coming out of school, uh, started flying airplanes, uh, figured out that I really didn't like being, I, I liked flying airplanes. I really didn't like being told when and where to fly airplanes. So it was the whole sort of job aspect that uh, sucked. And uh, for better or for worse, I went out and turned in my two-week notice and went into real estate. I had closed a duplex. Duplex was uh, making a few hundred bucks a month. I had saved up about $10,000. And that is what I launched a real estate career with. Uh, hit the bottom a few times, learned, learned a lot of lessons along the way, um, started off sort of flipping houses, like a lot of people started single family, and then progressed into small multifamily. And then they, the deals just got bigger and bigger over time, uh, wound up ultimately syndicating large apartment complexes. And that's basically what I do today. Um, I did my first 400 units, uh, 402 units actually without going into a, a bank or getting a traditional loan. So I built my four, first real estate portfolio uh, with all creative financing of, of one type or another. And, uh, and so now I've kind of come back to share some of those techniques with everybody. Yeah. And I know uh, you're writing, writing a book that's going to be coming out or probably wrote now. It's just waiting to, uh, to release it coming up. And, it is. Um, you know, I think the, that we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the, uh, the second half, uh, because I think the first part kind of leads into it of, of what's kind of coming. I know, um, heard you speak before about the, the K shaped recovery. And mm -hmm. I've actually from, you were the first one that mentioned it and kind of dug into it, uh, an event back in November, I believe it was. Um, mm -hmm. and I've seen more and more articles about it from various, you know, asset classes and, you know, mm -hmm. various investment vehicles, but just, yeah, looking at, it's going to be a little bit different than what, uh, what we've seen in the past. So, yeah, I mean, why don't you just uh, kind of dig into what your philosophy is on that for the K-shaped recovery that's coming? Yeah, basically for anybody that's not familiar, what, what, um, 
a lot of the economists, myself, and a lot of people are sort of starting to discuss, and it's something that that I kind of started to uh, bring up in, in my lectures early on, as as uh, Derek said back in uh, November. K-shaped recovery is kind of going to be this bifurcation in our economy, in our world, in real estate. You can kind of apply this concept in a lot of different areas, um, really keeping it more to a real estate conversation. What I think we're going to see is a split between the upper half of real estate and the, you know, I hate to say it, sort of the lower half of real estate. So as, as we know, um, real estate is basically categorized in A, B, C, and D assets, A and B being your newer construction, higher rent, white collar, uh, you know, C, D kind of being more your affordable housing, um, typically older buildings, uh, less affluent area, uh, working class tenant base. And I'm afraid that, that the real estate world is going to kind of follow what I think we're going to see in the economy and what, what you're reading in these articles now is that the, the upper side of the economy, the more of the white collar side of the economy, seems to not have been affected by the, the COVID pandemic that much, whereas our working class uh, side of the economy seems to be affected much more heavily. And I noticed this trend and I expected this coming. Um, I understand market cycles in general, and I know uh, where some of these sort of signposts lead. And so that's when I realized early on, we were probably going to have a, a, a K-shaped recovery or a K-shape in our economy, which is sort of more of the gap between the upper and the lower uh, income producing side of, of the world. In real estate specifically, I think the A's and the B's, the newer assets are going to hold value and recover better and, and will sustain a, a downturn in the economy better. It's the C's and the D's, it's the affordable housing space that I think could be in trouble as far as prices and values go over the next three or four years. And so Derek, that's what we've been, we've been kind of discussing and talking about is that K-shape recovery. And that's what I'm talking about is the split between uh, newer and older real estate. I believe the older real estate is gonna recover much, much less sl slowly and, and may decline, may not recover in the same sense of recovery as we'd like to think about it. So that's kind of one of my predictions. Uh, you know, we can certainly discuss why, but that's uh, that's what I mean by that K-shaped recovery. Yeah. And, you know, to look at that aspect of it, is it something that, you know, kind of looking in the next couple of years that you're like, you know, don't don't really look at getting the, you know, kind of those C-class properties? I know we uh, there are some that get the, the D-class properties, but uh, that's not something that, uh, needless to say, either of, either of us would touch. But, you know, say those those 1970s, you know, that, that C-class property, is that something that you, you don't even touch or, you know, kind of how, I guess, how would you recommend going about it? I know it kind of ties in with, uh, with the creative financing that might have to come in, but. Correct. It, it does. And so what, what I believe is going to occur is that the, well, that I know is currently occurring, is that our 1960s, 1970s, maybe early 80s built product, uh, you know, our apartments that are in the 60s and 70s are, are getting old. They're starting to reach physical obsolescence. Um, largely what we're seeing is plumbing, uh, subflooring, sort of under your carpet, some of your wooden frame structure, uh, roofs. Uh, you know, electrical, things that typically as, as properties get renovated, those items don't get renovated. You know, going in and replacing a roof or, or replacing plumbing, 
Um, it might increase value for a buyer, but it doesn't increase revenue. You, you know, you don't get to raise rent because you fix the plumbing. So therefore, those items tend to be out of sight, out of mind when people come in and renovate uh, real estate because there's no direct return for that. Well, that's been the case. And in, in now over many decades, that plumbing is no longer out of sight, out of mind. And anybody that owns a, an older building is probably nodding their head right now because you're probably dealing with a lot of plumbing issues on your property amongst other, other age-related items. And so that's one of the main reasons what I'm calling the CapEx tsunami or capital expense tsunami. Um, and, and I believe that the aging buildings is actually going to be a larger issue going forward than COVID or the economy or some of these other items. And that that's why the, the C space, the affordable housing space is going to fall apart in pricing um, over the next few years, because what people are going to realize is that the purchase price plus the amount of money that we're going to have to put into that property, uh, roofs, plumbing, electrical, you know, things of that nature all of that money in is what we call our cost basis. You know, that's your, your total sum it takes you to be in, or, or total sum you're into the building for. That's going to exceed value. So you're going to basically be upside down in value time you buy the property and, and put in some of the money into the capital expense infrastructure. You're going to have more into that asset than it's worth. And the only way to correct that problem is by bringing the price down. And that's what I'm predicting is going to be a sharp decline in, in the values in that area. For, for that reason. Second reason, debt. Debt controls our market. You know, what, what happens is lenders, uh, they, they sit on high and they can see market cycles coming and the lenders say, oh, it looks like we might be heading into a recession. So we'll stop lending as much. We'll tighten up our criteria. We'll have a flight to quality, which causes a recession. <laughs> so it's this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay, so now we're running into kind of a double whammy. You, you've got the buildings are getting a little bit older. Uh, we're headed into a recession. The lenders are going to tighten up lending. It's not that they're not going to lend on affordable housing. They will. They have to lend on affordable housing. They're just going to tighten up some of the other criteria behind the scenes that you don't see, such as borrower requirements. Anybody try to go out and get a Fannie Freddie loan agency debt lately? Probably notice that they're really looking heavily at resumes right now. If you're brand new to real estate, that's going to be a tougher loan for you to get. Uh, they're looking at net worth requirements, liquidity requirements, experiential requirements. You know, they're just really tightening up on the underwriting of a lot of assets. So that's, that's a double whammy. You've got debt backing up, uh, putting less, going to put less money into the world. You've got the, the properties aging and getting old going into a recession. And so the solution is going to be sort of a partnership with the seller. And, and that's, what I, that's what I teach in this book. And that's why I brought out this book, Creative Cash Now, is because I know, I've been through these cycles. I know it's coming. I know what we're headed into as far as the market cycle. And I know what it's going to take to get deals done when you're in that sort of debt desert, if you want to call it that, you know, when, when the debt really starts to dry up. And it's going to be creativity. It's going to be problem solving. You know, you're, you're going to want to find sellers that, for whatever reason, have a, a, an issue. Maybe the property is uh, not got the best um, occupancy, deferred maintenance, revenues low, you know, fill in the blank. And the lenders are now calling that particular asset distressed. They used to call it value add, but now they're calling it distressed. See, and that's because and I always say in the up cycle, we call these things value add. On the down cycle, we call them distressed assets. Look, that's lender language, right? And, and so when you start hearing distressed asset instead of value add, that's when you better start getting creative because that means the seller's going to have a problem. They're going to want to sell the property. You're not going to be able to get a great mortgage. The lender's going to say, hey, sure, we'll do the loan. 
at 60% loan to value, 65% loan to value, you're putting down a ton of cash, the numbers don't work. How do we get these deals closed? Creativity. And that's why, that's why I've written the book, Creative Cash. Yeah. And, you know, to dig into that a little bit more, again, like these next couple of years, we were talking uh, before we, we started recording, actually I had to stop that. So we, uh, so we get to dig into it here, but, you know, looking at where are the, some of the, like the key things that people should be looking at, you know, this year when they're, when they're underwriting a deal, they're, they're, you know, got something comes across their desk, taking a look, you know, it, it's marketed as a, a value add opportunity, you know, all, all of that stuff, you know, how do, what do they really have to look at to kind of protect themselves? Yeah, the the biggest two two major things um, right now, and this is you know Q one twenty twenty one where we are still well within the pandemic. So I, I don't know exactly when you'll be listening to this recording, but if if you're if the pandemic is still going on, the eviction moratorium is still current, like it is today. What you've got to be careful about is the tenant balance, the tenant delinquency. Right now, we're seeing a large number of tenants falling behind in rent, and um, I'm, I'm seeing it real time as I'm out analyzing deals and I'm looking at sellers' rent rolls. I'm looking real time at, at the tenants not paying the rent, and now it's hitting the news. Now, as of this week, we're starting to see news reporting that uh, we're between 18, 21% nationally of the tenant base has fallen to that 60 days or, or more behind in rent. Well, as an operator, and somebody who's been out here doing this for a long time, I can tell you when a tenant gets 60 days behind, that is typically an eviction process. It typically means that tenant is not going to recover from that level, level of delinquency, and they're ultimately, that's going to be an economic vacancy. Well, we're seeing 10, 20% now hitting that number, and that's, that's scary. So right now, to protect yourself, uh, if you're out looking at deals, one of the first things you need to do is just pull the rent roll. You know, I always, I have a lot of students and we always teach, uh, you sort of use the profit and loss to analyze your deal. And you certainly need to do that. But I'm saying before you even go there, don't even bother. Get a rent roll and see if the tenants are paying rent. It's about the economic occupancy. You know, we don't, we care, but we don't really care about physical occupancy. And remember, there's a difference. Physical occupancy, somebody's living there. Economic occupancy, they're living there and paying the rent. So you can have great physical occupancy and still have terrible economic occupancy. And that's what you got to watch out for right now. So sometimes we're seeing sellers not put that data on the profit and loss, you know, they're kind of uh, couching some of the losses on their, their books. So you got to be very careful with that right now. Um, really get an age receivable uh, information or account. Find out if the tenants are paying rent. If not, the likelihood that you're going to get the mortgage completed declines rapidly, which then what that does is that puts your earnest money at risk. So Derek, really the, the major problem we have here in, in, in your listenership is losing earnest money. So right now I'd be ultra cautious about either putting up a lot of earnest money or getting aggressive with earnest money. You want to go completely the opposite. I know recently everybody's been putting hard money down day one, non-refundable, all this kind of stop. Stop doing that right now. Uh, start putting in your clauses, contingencies. Um, financial contingency, I think, is a big one that everyone should have in a contract right now because it's not your fault if the seller's renters stop paying the rent. But if the lender kicks the loan out, it will be your earnest money you lose. So that's why I say financial contingencies. We want to be lowering earnest money and we want to be very careful about uh, who is and is not paying the rent. So those are my sort of three major tips that I would give everybody right now for analyzing a deal. Yeah. And kind of to go into that, if, you know, if something is, you know, 
10, 15% of their, their tenants are behind on rent. And, you know, you kind of see what's coming. Like right now we're just kicking the can down the road with these moratoriums. And if, you know, it's, it's going to make it. So when it does happen, it's gonna, it's going to be ugly. And agreed. It's, it's tough. I mean, you know, you looking at that perspective, you know, it, some of these cases have been, you know, quote unquote, no fault of their own. I mean, if they haven't been allowed to work, you know, but you're just getting them more and more and more behind. And it's, yeah, it, it's going to be something to, uh, it's not going to be pretty, but unfortunately it's, it's inevitable. Somebody somewhere is going to have to write that check, you know, and the way I kind of describe this economic system is imagine like a pipe with water in it. And all of a sudden there's a bubble in that pipe. Well, that bubble has to move itself all the way down the pipe and then out the other side before the water flows again. Well, the, the lockdown was kind of like, creating a bubble in our economy. We, the government sent out money, stimulus checks and things of this nature, but there was no real product to back that up. We all quit working. We all quit producing product for a little while. So it created this vacuum. The vacuum started with the tenants. Okay, now the tenants aren't paying their rent. Okay, well then that, so let's, we can cancel rent for the tenants, fine. Then the landlords can't pay their mortgage. Okay, so the bubble moves to the landlords. Okay, then if the landlords don't pay their mortgage to the bank, then the bubble moves to the bank. And then the banks don't make their payments to the Fed and so forth and so on. Somewhere, this vacuum that we've created with the lockdown has to be paid for. I don't know who is ultimately going to write that check. Is it going to be something that we all share in? Are they going to cancel some of the rent, some of our mortgages, some of the bank debt? I don't know. But, but the, the, the hot, this financial hot potato is going to land on one of these groups, the tenants, the landlord, the bank, their banks for the Fed. I don't know where, but someone in there is going to write that check or we all are all collectively going to cover it. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this works out. I'm certainly not in favor of evicting, uh, you know, 40 million people in the world or, or evicting anyone for that matter, especially not um, people that have, have been affected by COVID and, and haven't been able to work. It's, it is a travesty and it's terrible. But that being said, we all have a business to run. We all have rent to pay. I have my own rent to pay. We all we all have to make the world go round. So I'm curious to see how this works out. Uh, should be interesting. Um, I, I think there's going to be a change of guard, and I think there will be a, a shift of wealth. I think some operators are not going to make it, and that will provide opportunity for some buyers to come in and, and pick up some interesting deals. Try and not do anything real dumb over the next year or so. Try not to do buy. Try not to buy an asset that knocks you off the market for the next year or so. So I would strongly recommend everybody kind of be cautious and let's get ready. I, I think within a year the market is going to get interesting, and then if you're in a good position, you're going to be able to, to maybe help out some sellers and at the same time uh, really position yourself to pick up some interesting assets. Just don't do anything too dumb for about a year. You'll be ready. Yeah, and I think uh, too part of that you know, something to kind of set yourself up is to get a better understanding of, you know, different ways for creative financing, which then leads me to uh, get Bill's book, Creative yeah. Cash. So right. I want to dig it. I know you mentioned, you know, it talks about creative financing ways, but maybe a little bit of insight to a couple of like the main options, the main sure. ways that you went about it early in your career, because again, for the people that are, you know, starting to get into it, it's going to be tougher. Like you mentioned, they're tightening those lending requirements. You know, it's, it's a little bit tougher for, uh, new multifamily investors to get into the space, you know, obviously you can go about it and assemble your team, but say you have this property that wouldn't qualify um, for some bank financing. 
what are some options that you've used and, you know, kind of some caveats to those? Yeah, the two two main ones, there, there are lots and I cover all of the different types in the book, uh, but there are two main ones and the easiest ones to discuss are uh, master lease options and seller financing. Those are your two most common mainstays of creative financing, the ones that are, are the easiest to understand and the most commonly used. Outside of those two, you can get into things like uh, of lines of credit and using debt partners and you know partnering with sellers and credit cards. <laughs> I've paid for real estate in all kinds of crazy ways. But uh, the two main ones would be seller financing and lease options. Um, seller financing is, is basically exactly what it sounds like. The, the, the seller is going to act as the bank. They're going to carry the mortgage. You're going to put some money down and, and they're going to finance that property for you. Now, that being said, the, the catch is a seller can't have a mortgage if they're gonna give you a mortgage. You can do what people call a wrap or subject to financing where we just kind of don't tell the bank and I'll take over the property and make the payments for you. You, the seller go away and we just won't tell anybody. I don't care for that type of financing. I think that's uh, pretty risky. So if, if the, the seller does not have a mortgage, seller financing. If the seller does have a mortgage, master lease option. And that's what I would recommend for the seller that does have a mortgage. That is a two-part contract. It's the master lease and the option to purchase. They're basically two separate contracts, but we'll discuss them as one. Uh, it's it's a, a rent-to-own in, in simple terms. It, it is a master lease instead of a lease option. Lease option would be like uh, single family. We use the term master when we're just talking about multiple units. So don't, don't get too uh, confused with that. Master lease, I'm going to come in and rent this entire property with the right to sublet the units. So Derek, you're gonna you're you're tired. You're a burned out landlord. You're uh, you're you're done, and you want to get away from real estate. You're I'm gonna rent your property. So it's 100 units, uh, and you and I are gonna come up with a rent payment each month. Hopefully, it is only the taxes, the insurance, and the mortgage payment that you have. That's what I want to pay you every month. Uh, that now lets me control the operations of the property, the cash flow, uh, the management. You know, go in and actually straighten out the operations. Then second, we're going to set up a, a price. You and I are going to come up with an agreement. You're, you want a million dollars for your property. Fine. We've now set the price. We're going to agree on how long it is that I have the exclusive right to buy that property for that price we negotiated. So the idea is, is you're, you have an issue for some reason. Uh, my offer is going to come in and solve that issue. And I'm going to rent your property. So now I'm controlling the asset management. You and I are going to agree on a price and we're going to agree on a time in which I have to purchase your property for that price. The underlying concept is, is hopefully you can push the value up through your efforts beyond whatever the option price is. So, and again, our example, you know, if you and I have a, an agreement for a million dollars, hopefully I can go in and through my operations, i.e. the lease, I can make that property worth a million and a half, maybe $2 million, whatever the case, above our option. All right, now I'm going to go and exercise that option to purchase on the $1 million price. And I've got a value of $2 million. So that's kind of the point of a lease option. And again, you don't have to purchase. You could turn around and, and sell that property. You could sell either one of the contracts, by the way. That's a way of wholesaling. You can sell contracts. Um, you could purchase it. You could do all sorts of things. The only thing you can't do in a master lease option, you cannot refinance because you don't own the property, you're a renter. Seller financing, you can refinance out of. 
So refinance is the only exit strategy we really can't use in a match lease option, but um, there's tons of other ones such as sell. But again, if you go to buy it, remember you're buying it uh, for a million bucks and it's worth 2 million. So you, you've got great loan to value there. Should still be really, really easy to get a loan. If you want to syndicate at that point in time, you bring in your partners, your investors, you can syndicate and purchase. So basically the idea is let's, let's solve some of these problems. Take an asset that won't qualify for traditional financing. Use some sort of creativity to get the deal um, stabilized, renovated, and economically stable where it should be for the lender. Now the lenders like it. We take it. We go to, to Fannie, Freddie, wherever. Exit financing. Keep the asset long term. So that's an overview of, of roughly what and how we use creative financing. And what would be you know a couple of things to watch out for? Like, is there any anything? you know, with like a master lease option where, you know, it can, you can kind of get burned or with seller finance. Yeah. What, are, what are like some things to make sure you want to have fine up front? Great, great question. Yeah. What are the downsides? Uh, so yeah, number one, very, very big tip here is do not try and create or go out and get these documents online. You, you can go get them online if you want, that's fine, but you must work with an attorney to review all your documents I strongly recommend you have the attorney create all your documents, um, not just review, but either way, you really, really, really want to be working with an attorney in your state that is familiar with seller financing and lease options. So um, find an attorney that's done lease options. You might have to go out and, and uh, network a little and, and research and maybe do some interviews. Everyone should know how to do them or can at least read a document. That's not good enough. Uh, if your attorney is not familiar or has not done a lot of lease options, chances are they're going to do what most good attorneys do. They're just going to tell you it won't work. You can't do it. It's illegal. Go away. Uh, so I suggest finding one that really knows what they're doing. Laws do change a little bit from state to state. I believe Texas is the only state at the moment that has any sort of pretty dramatic laws on lease options. But anyway, point being is, is, is do everything through legal counsel. And I would strongly recommend that you have your seller also be represented by legal counsel. That's one where you can get in trouble. You don't want to go do some kind of contract with a seller that could come back and claim ignorance after the fact and say, see, I'm, I'm just this little old guy and, and Derek is this young, sharp, shrewd shark that really got me into this contract I didn't understand and Derek took advantage of me, your honor. See, that's where you got to be careful. So you always want to have your seller have representation, legal representation, have the seller have someone review all the documents and attorney so that they can't claim you did something unbeknownst to them. You did something aggressive. So having the seller have an attorney is actually to protect you uh, and protect them too, but protect you largely. So that's my main tip on that one. Um, other things you can get in trouble with, uh, the, the other biggie in a, is in a lease option specifically, um, you're a renter. So what if at the end of the option, the seller just says, no, I'm not going to actually transfer the property to you. That would be a bad situation. All you can really do is sue them. So you've got to be careful about how much money you put in the deal, uh, you know, how much money you've got tied up in it. And always sort of have an exit strategy in that regard in case for whatever reason your seller turns out to be a deadbeat and says, you know what? Uh, yes, uh, I agreed to a million dollar sale price, but you're such a good operator. You made my property worth three million bucks and I don't want to I don't want to sell it now. Thank you. You would need to sue them. So you always want to make sure that the scenario is worth it. 
you know, so try and uh, my, my suggestion there is if you have to put up down payment money or option money or something like that, try and do the analysis where you can cash flow all of your option money back in about half the time you're on that property. So, you know, if I have to, to give Derek here uh, $100,000 out of our million dollar agreement and just making up numbers, I would want to sit down and look at that deal and say, okay, after I stabilize Derek's deal, can I make it cash flow 100 grand in that three years that, that he and I have this agreement? So that when I get to the end of that agreement, if something goes wrong, which could be, by the way, you turn out to kind of uh, stiff me and you decide not to sell the property, it also could turn out. I find out I don't want to buy the property. Oh, I didn't realize there was, there was you know, a sinkhole in the middle of the property. You know, there's structural issues. The termites have eaten the building to bits, and I just don't actually want to purchase the asset. Well, you may forfeit some of that uh, earnest money in that case or deposit money. So cash flow it back. And those are, the, those are some of your major downfalls and some solutions to avoiding a couple of those, those big pitfalls that you can run into. Yeah, great. Again, it's, it's about mitigating that risk and just, yeah, being smart about how you set everything up. You know, again, you don't want to aggressively underwrite, you know, a lot of the deals that are on market right now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough to make them pencil out. And like you said before, it, it, the market's going to react in coming up in the next year, couple of years, and it's setting yourself up. So get, get knowledgeable on this, know how to avoid catastrophe basically yeah you correct. don't you don't want to bury yourself in a time where there could be great opportunity for those who are you know knowledgeable and and you know uh, diligent about how they how they go about acquisitions operations all of that so yeah get educated yeah no what I, what I was going to say to add to that take care of the downside the upside takes care of itself don't worry about making money. Let's worry about not losing it. You know, let's let's worry about not getting in trouble over the next few years. Let's worry about mitigating our risk because if you do that, the other side will take care of itself. You know, I think everybody focuses on making money and, and people don't focus enough on the risk side and they believe that's a negative point of view and it is not. It is not a negative point of view to mitigate risk or to be focused or to be risk centric. It's not. Uh, again, making money is easy if you don't lose it first, you know. And, uh, and it's easier said than done in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, you know, for people that uh, wanna wanna pick up your book, Creative Cash, when can they get it, and where can they find it? All right, it's uh, coming out February 9th, twenty twenty one, and uh, Amazon, uh, Kindle, and Audible. So it's in all three versions: Amazon, Kindle, Audible. You can get it there. Um, you can also uh, come to our website. You can get the book there. And we also, uh, Gino and I, Jake and Gino, I kind of co-produced this with uh, Jake and Gino. And we have a home study course at creativeapartmentdeals.com. Uh, again, that's creativeapartmentdeals.com. We've got a complete creative financing uh, master class on that website, which goes much further than the book. Uh, so I definitely recommend getting the book. And then when you go through that, come check us out at creativeapartmentdeals.com uh, for the masterclass. And then if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, it's uh, bill at gobroadwell.com. Um, and if you're looking to invest with uh, us, that's actually a, a separate partner of mine. That's uh, Broadwell Property Group. Uh, and you can find us at um, uh, broadwellpropertygroup.com. If you're looking to invest, go there and fill out your information. And we'll be in touch.
Wonderful. Well, again, I will uh, throw all that stuff in the show notes, make it easy for our listeners to find that information. And yeah, encourage them. Again, this is the time to uh, to get educated, build out that network, build out that team so that, you know, when that opportunity comes, you're able to, uh, you're able to strike and, and be able to get into a lot of various situations, you know, where you can see opportunity so you don't miss out on deals. So again, Creative Cash coming out February 9th. Uh, links for everything will be in the show notes. And thank you very much, Bill, for, for coming yeah, back on the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Apartment Investing for Early Retirement. Please be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. The links will be in the show notes. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to share it out on social media so that we can reach more and more people to help educate them about the opportunity that multifamily investing provides to help reach their version of retirement sooner than later. Take care, everyone. Mm -hmm.